going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up your Bible to that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, We have hard copy Bibles available at the back table. If you need one, uh, we would encourage you to grab one and even take one home as a gift from us to you if you don't own a hard copy of the Bible for yourself. And so if you've been with us the last number of weeks, you know that we've had a teaching series focus on the core values of Harvest Liberty Lake Church. There are eight of them, and we are continuing that study. We've talked about a few values already. We've talked about the value of gospel centrality. We've talked about the value of lifestyle evangelism, of personal Bible study, and most recently, the value of congregational singing, that we would be a singing church. Today, we want to talk about the value of raising up new leaders. This is something that we want to do in the life of our church, not just here in the beginning as we get started, but one in which we carry through all throughout the life of this church as God sustains our ministry. And so this core value of raising up new leaders, we have described it this way. We believe that one of the key roles of a pastor is to raise up future leaders in the church ministry leaders, deacons, elders, and yes, even new pastors. We do not want the mission and ministry of the church to be fully dependent on one person. Therefore, we will seek to raise up leaders at every opportunity so that our gospel impact can be multiplied and be long-lasting into the future. Like I said, this isn't just a value that we want to focus on now, but one that we want to characterize our ministry for many years to come. And so there's many ways in which we could focus on this value. There are a lot of leaders that, Lord willing, we will raise up and a lot of needs here in this church. Our hope and desire is that there will be future deacons that will be appointed here at this church to be servants of this body. We pray also that there would be more elders and pastors to co-lead with me amongst myself, that we would have a plurality of leadership as we see described in the scriptures. But as I think about the needs of us as a young church, roughly six months in our existence as a local gathering here, I think more generally of just our need for all of us as God's people to exercise spiritual gifts that God has entrusted us. Spiritual gifts. And I want to start with a little bit of a word picture. You know, Paul often speaks of the church in a couple different descriptive ways. The church is referred to in scriptures, in the scriptures by Paul as the body of Christ, as we're going to see in this passage. There's also language that we are the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. That the church is the bride of Christ. And each one of these images help describe and characterize and give us a better understanding of what the church is to be, what Christ is is building. And if I could give maybe my own modern picture, not in an authoritative sense to put them on par with what the scriptures say by any means, but I think we'll be aided in our understanding knowing that the body of Christ is both to be unified while at the same time being diverse. This is something that we see in in a secular sense with regards to sports teams, right? That in order for a team to accomplish its goal to be a good team, you need unity. You need to all be working together. But yet most sports, or at least most team sports, have different positions and different responsibilities that need to be fulfilled, that no one person can achieve victory on their own, but you need a diverse group of people with talents and skills. This is seen in many different sports with many different teams, but 
uh, appropriately so, I, I see this maybe most drastically in the sport of football, which we just got done watching this last Sunday. You know, this idea of unity and diversity, I think, is pictured very well on a football team because you have different players in different positions who look very different from one another with regards to their physique and athleticism. In fact, I don't know of any other sport where you could have someone who is 5'10", you know, maybe 200 pounds with 2% body fat, be on the same team and have to work in unison with someone who is closer to 6'6", maybe 350 pounds, um, and working together in unison to, to win a game. That those are two dramatically different pictures, but yet both are essential to have a successful team with one another. And so there are various positions and all are important. There are some that maybe stand out as being more important than others, right? We have quarterbacks, we have running backs. Sometimes they're the ones that get all the glory and the honor. But I will tell you that I bet you every good quarterback is very thankful for a good offensive line. You can be the best quarterback in the league, but if no one is protecting you, you are going to be in for a very rough season. And so we see diversity and unity make a great team with regards to something like a football team. And I would say even more so when we start to think about the church, that we do need to have a diverse group of people with a diverse group of giftings while maintaining unity with one another in order to accomplish the goals that Christ has set for us and what he has called us to do. And I see this as we begin to talk about the idea of spiritual gifts. The main takeaways that I want us to have this morning as we open up this text is this idea, number one, that every believer has been given one or more spiritual gifts or abilities that are meant to be used to edify and build and serve the church to the glory of God. And that our church suffers, all churches suffer, when these gifts are not practiced or when they're not done with a sense of unity. And so our task is for every believer to discover their gift and to begin using it to edify and build up the church. So the question I want you to have mulling in your brain as we look at the scriptures this morning is, what is your spiritual gift? And how can you use it to edify and build up this church to the glory of God? And so let us turn to the scriptures now. Hopefully you are able to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read pretty much the entire chapter um, over the course of our message, but I would ask that you stand for the beginning portion uh, if you are willing and able. I'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through verse, I believe, 7. And so let us look to the reading of God's word. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the word of God this morning. 
You may be seated. And so for the first part of our message, I want us to focus on this idea here in Scripture, this truth, this reality, this principle, that every believer, every person who has put their faith and trust in Christ and has God's Spirit dwelling within them has been given a spiritual gift by God. We see that here in this text. But before we get into the specifics of spiritual gifts, it's important to remember the gift of salvation as we talk about spiritual gifts. One of the struggles in this Corinthian church is that instead of being unified through these diverse giftings, there was actually division. They had gotten sidetracked and that they had become prideful and boastful in their, what they thought were their own abilities, and there was division that was taking place. And so I think this is why Paul, very intentionally in the first few verses of chapter 12, is seeking to humble not just them, but us as we deal with this topic. To remember that although God has given us gifts, chiefly God has given us the gift of salvation and that this is a gift that we freely receive in Christ. So Paul writes in verse three that no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He writes elsewhere in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, talking about the gift of salvation for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And so if our salvation, our relationship with Jesus is first and foremost a gift, then shouldn't we also more easily understand that the abilities that he has given us, these spiritual gifts that he has worked in us are gifts as well? How can we boast about these things? If we can't boast about our salvation, nevertheless, we cannot boast about our own gifts and abilities because God is the one who has made us. He's the one who sustains us. We take each breath because it is a gift from the Lord. And so there's a need for humility here. And so that is important to understand as we begin to under, understand this idea that every believer has been given a spiritual gift. But, but some of us may be wondering, what is a spiritual gift? Maybe you're new to church and you haven't heard this terminology before of believers having spiritual gifts. Maybe you've been in church and you've just wondered, what are these? Are these just things, talents, abilities that, that I possess before salvation that I then just start to use in the church? Or are these new things that God gives me that were not part of my life beforehand? So what is the answer to that question? Yes, both. James 1.7 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with him there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything we have in life, including our talents and our abilities, comes from the Lord. And so as you think about how you can serve God and serve the church and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ, you may already have things that you're good at. And you now just need to learn how to use those to edify and bless the church and glorify God. But you also may find that as you begin to find service opportunities, that you're doing things that you've never done before and that God is producing fruit in your life and in the life of the church as a result of that. And so there may be examples in which God has given you some new abilities and new talents that you didn't know that you had. And so fundamental for us to understand what a spiritual gift is, is that in order for something to be a spiritual gift, there must be an empowering of the spirit. 
We must be serving in the strength and, the, and by the spirit that God provides in us as believers. This is true for both new abilities, but also for existing talents or abilities as well. I want you to see this reflected in the text here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 with me. Paul writes, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And so the idea of having a spiritual gift requires that we understand that it's not just us doing these things, but God doing these things through us. That we are serving according to his power and his strength, whether we have experience in these areas or not. And that this is by design. Verse 7 says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These are things given to us, empowered by the Spirit. And so this is contrary to, to talents and abilities. When we think about talents and abilities in and of themselves, they're not meant to build up the church or um, edify other believers. Oftentimes, we in our sinful nature use our talents and our abilities to build up ourselves. And it's possible to be using what you would call your spiritual gifts not to edify and not to build up the church, but to build up yourself, which means you're not serving with God's power and with God's humility. Philippians 2, 13, a, a favorite verse of mine says, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. You may know that there are things that you're good at. Maybe you're good with finances. Maybe you're a good public speaker. Maybe you're a good musician. Maybe you're a good conversationalist or you're hospitable and you have just always practiced these things. But yet now you feel led to use them and to do those things in a different way. It may not look different on the outside, but that inward motivation is much less about yourself and your own personal enjoyment, your own reputation, and much more about this idea of I'm serving the Lord through this. That is my motivation. That is my drive. It is God working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And the fact of the matter is there are things that maybe we are sometimes skillfully good at but don't like doing, right? You may be skillfully and, and, and good at doing things like finances, but you don't like doing that. But yet when there's a need in, say, a local church to help in that regard, you have a willingness to do that. And you actually receive joy out of doing that as well. Maybe you don't like to wake up early any day of the week, but especially on a Sunday morning, but you look forward to coming and blessing this local congregation through your service of setting up tables and banners and helping in very practical ways. That is God working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure by using your giftedness. And this is the amazing thing about God is he can take selfish people like you and me and transform us and use us for his glory. That when we in the past may have done these things for ourselves, now we're doing them for the Lord and he is honored and glorified and the church is built up. So we've given some examples of maybe natural abilities that, that can be used by God, empowered by the spirit and thus kind of can qualify as being spiritual gifts. I think about musicians who 
maybe you already have a lot of talent there, but yet serve God through their musicianship here on a Sunday morning or other local churches. You can think of people who maybe just gifted speakers already, but now have begun to use that gift in service to God through Bible study or preaching or anything of that sort. But at the root of it, natural abilities bring glory to themselves. Spiritual gifts bring glory to God. And in order for them to be spiritual gifts, whether, whether they're strengths that we have or not, when, when we're serving the Lord, the posture that we serve in is not in a posture of strength, trust in our own abilities. Instead, it's a posture of weakness and dependence on God. Because you can be really, really good at something. But no matter how good you are at it, when you are relying on your own abilities, there's no power there. God's spirit needs to bring the power in your life as you serve him. Think of a personal example. You know, I, I like to think that I'm a decent speaker, that I'm a decent teacher. I felt like this has been the case for, for much of my life, that maybe me more so than others just feels comfortable getting up front and, and speaking to people in large groups. And I do seek to get better by study and practice and coaching as much as I can. But at the same time, if I rely fully on my own abilities because I've read these books, because I've done this a hundred times, because I'm really funny or I'm really descriptive, that, that I am a good teacher, if I rely on those things, then I'm not serving God as I ought to with my gift. I need to be dependent on his spirit. And I can tell you from real life examples where I have stepped into a speaking engagement, a preaching engagement, confident that I have prepped the best message that this audience will probably ever hear in their life and gotten up and, and spoke that message and saw nothing happen. No response. Maybe even had people say, that was, that was not your best Sunday. And at the same time, I've had weeks where I've come very weak and very pleading before the Lord, God, help me. Help me this morning. I don't feel prepared. My words feel jumbled. I know what your truth says, but I don't know how to communicate it in the way that it needs to be said. Would you, would you do this great work? I've gone up and given those messages and quite honestly felt like a failure. And I would say almost every time I get up and I speak and I have that posture, I get more comments from people of how God moved in their life through those, which is just a wonderful example of God reminding me of this truth, that it is God's spirit that brings the power, not our actions, not our words, not our abilities, excuse me, not our abilities. And as we think about spiritual gifts, we need to think about the spirit working through us. And so we all have areas of strength, but we're to still serve in weakness. But there is this idea of growing in gifting as well. That we maybe have an idea of things that we're good at, that we want to use for the Lord. But I would say the more you do in ministry, the more open you are to having God work in your life, the more likely you are to be given more gifts, right? More responsibility. This is reflected in a number of the parables that Jesus gives, that those who are faithful are often entrusted with more responsibility, and thus there is greater equipping by God's Spirit for those things. I definitely feel that that has been the case in my own life. There are things that I, I knew I always was relatively good at, but yet now there are things demanded of me in the position that, I ha that I'm in as a pastor leading a new church that 
that I'm not good at, but God is supplying the strength and the need and is working through me in this way. And so examples of, of growing gifting, stepping out of your comfort zone, doing things that you would never think that you would do yourselves and seeing God's power displayed in that. I think of that in Paul's own life. We often think of Paul as a gifted speaker. But in this epistle earlier, Paul acknowledged that he actually wasn't the most gifted speaker. If you read the early chapters, he said, I came to you with, with foolishness, that I'm, I'm not the best orator. There are better speakers out there. In fact, he lists one in the early chapters of the Corinthian Apollos, that Apollos was, was trained in rhetoric and he maybe grew a, a greater following because of the way that he spoke and how, how eloquent he was. But Paul says, I came to you in meekness. In fact, um, sorry, I'd have to turn there. It's actually 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says in verse one, and when I came to you, brothers, did I not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom? The answer is no, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul relied on the simple message with regards to his speech and God used that. Think of another example in scripture from the Old Testament, Moses, right? When he was called to get up and to speak before Pharaoh, he's like, I can't do this. And God says, I will be with you and I will help you do these things. And so growing and gifting is being willing to, to do things that you aren't good at so that you can greater see the power of God working through you. Paul writes in his second epistle to the, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, in talking about his prayer life before God and God revealing to him this answer, to him, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God likes to use our weakness to display his power. If we only ever served in our strength, then where would be the honor and glory that should be focused towards God? He does these things very intentionally. And so now let us look to the next section of this chapter in 1 Corinthians as Paul begins to talk about the specific manifestations, examples of spiritual gifts that we can look at. So verse 7, Paul continues to write, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so as we begin to ask ourselves, what kind of spiritual gift may God have given me? We have a list of examples here in this passage. In that list is utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge. We can simplify that a little bit, that these are kind of teaching gifts, teaching not only of God's word, but also maybe just teaching some of the lived, godly, wise experience that you can share with other people. We have here the gift of faith. This is not necessarily talking about the faith of salvation, but faith just to embrace difficult tasks, right? This is 
This is the gift that we typically associate with those maybe going onto the mission field, taking on new uh, ministry endeavors, dare I say, planting a church, that this is a gift that God gives us. There are gifts of healing, working of miracles and prophecy, the more miraculous gifts. There is the ability to distinguish between spirits, which is, as I understand it, just kind of the gift of discernment that you have insight that is maybe unique and accurate of people and situations. We have the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And so we have here teaching gifts, we have here service gifts, we have here miraculous gifts, and we can spend a lot of time talking about um, which gifts are present in the church, which are not. Um, There are different views on some of these things, but I really just want us to see that there are a variety of gifts. There are a variety of gifts but yet one Lord who empowers them all, who apportions them individually to his people. There are more gifts listed in the New Testament. I look at passages like Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. You can look at the screen behind me. It says, and he gave, to the, he gave them the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I think these are also not just roles, but also giftings to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Romans 12, 6 through 8 lists more gifts. Paul writes in Romans, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see some of the same gifts repeated. We see some new ones listed, gifts of generosity, exhortation, leadership, mercy. Last passage I have for you is 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 through 11. Just so you know, it's not just Paul that talks about this gifting, but also the apostle Peter. He writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. So every believer, young or old, new to the faith, experienced in the faith, has been given a gift by God to edify and to build up the church. So now the question becomes, after looking at some of these examples, how do you discover what gift God has given you? I have three points, three observations here. The first is that in our modern times, a tool or resource many churches have used is a spiritual gift test. Now, let me just say, these things are helpful. They are useful but they are in many ways still lacking. And so maybe some of you have had experience taking these spiritual gift tests. It could be a 20-question survey, or it could potentially be, you know, more in-depth, 100, 200 questions. I've, I've done a number of them. And they can be really helpful. If you're new to this idea of spiritual gifts, this is a great way to be introduced to the topic, to get some ideas of how has God uniquely created and wired you to serve his church. But I don't want us to understand that this is exclusively where we can discover our spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts are meant to be discovered and to be used in the life of the church. And it's a bit presumptuous that we could sit in our comfy chair at at home and 
on our computer and kind of type away and answer these questions and come away knowing for certain, oh, well, I must have this gift because it's in isolation. We need to discover these gifts and use these gifts as part of the body. Also, you may be aware that you can manipulate tests like this. You can kind of know what results you want to get. You may have a fear of public speaking. And so anytime there's a question that you know is kind of asking, do you have a gift of teaching intentionally answer in such a way as to prevent from receiving that sort of role. But I will tell you, I know many a teacher who is very gifted by the Lord who does not like to be up in front of people. But yet God has made them very effective in that. And so a test like this can miss that kind of result. It can almost limit you as well. You may come away with three primary giftings and then say, okay, well, those are the three areas in which I'm willing to serve in a local church. But that can close you off from new opportunities to be stretched and grown outside of what your strengths are to discover ways in which God is empowering you to do more ministry that showcases his strengths and not your own. So I'm not saying we're never going to use these in the life of our church. In fact, we probably will. They are useful. But I do want us to understand that they are not the end-all, be-all way to discover your gift, these spiritual gifts inventories or tests. And my last point, which leads to the, to the second way in which we discover our gift, is that the church for hundreds of years has had people serving in it with their spiritual gifts without tests like these. And so the best way to discover your gift is to get involved, to try things, to step outside your comfort zone, Maybe step into a comfort zone as well, but just being willing to serve God and his church, that we discover our spiritual gifts oftentimes through trial and error, by being willing to step into them. And then lastly, I think the ultimate way in which we can know whether God has gifted us in a particular way or not is through affirmation. That as you begin to serve, maybe after you've taken that test, as you begin to serve, then Lord willing, you will be affirmed by your leaders, by your peers in the church of, man, I'm greatly blessed by the way that you are serving this church. You have a unique ability just to connect with kids. Or I just find that when we sit down and have conversations that you are particularly encouraging and life-giving to me as I seek to serve the Lord. Or hey, as you got up and, and spoke in our small group, you had some really profound things to say and I would love to hear you teach more and, and hear more of what God is doing in your life affirmation is another way in which we discover one another's gifts. And so application here is not just to examine your own life, but be on the lookout in the lives of those here in this church. Who can you affirm in a way that they are serving? Because that is necessary. Because we oftentimes are, are harder on ourselves than, than we should be at times. And so let me move a little more quickly through the rest of this passage. And so we now have this understanding of every believer has a spiritual gift, one or more, that is meant to be used to serve and to build up the church. But in order for us to be a healthy church, this is our second point, every church should consist of a variety of people and a variety of spiritual gifts. If we all have the same gifting, then we're like a football team made of all offensive linemen. We're not going to get very far down the field. Okay, we need to have a variety of people and a variety of gifts. And this essentially was the problem that Paul was addressing here at this point in Corinthians, that the Corinthians had put an, an excessive 
amount of intention and importance on one particular gifts. And in this instance, it was the gift of tongues to the detriment of all the others. And so Paul rebukes this with this analogy of the church as a body. This is his image, his description of the church that communicates both unity and diversity, and both are necessary for health. Both are necessary for health. He uses his idea of one body is healthy, um, or sorry, when one part of the body is healthy, the whole body is healthy, but when one part of the body is unhealthy, it has a tendency to affect all the other parts. And we know this, is particularly this time of season, this time of year, when we battle colds, right? It may start with a stuffy nose that just continues to run, and then we start to suffer congestion, and then we get a headache, and then we get body aches, and it's just, it starts small, but it begins to spread. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And so Paul goes on in verses uh, 12 through the, through the rest of the section to talk about the importance of unity and diversity. And so let me pick up in verse 12, and we'll continue reading from the scripture. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So I think Paul's pointing out two mistakes here that we can make as we put undue emphasis on different parts of the body or different spiritual gifts. The first mistake we can make is undervaluing your own gifting. Because I'm not a hand, instead I'm a foot, I have no part here in this body. Right? We can undervalue our own gifting and not see how it contributes to the health of the church. And I think this is one of those things that many are tempted to do, particularly those who, who don't have some of those upfront gifts gifts such as teaching or leading or, or music that you could feel rather insignificant. I think we mistakenly equate our level of spirituality or maturity in the faith with our gifts. That because I'm not a worship leader, then I must not be spiritually mature. Or because I'm not a Bible study leader, I'm not spiritually mature. And, and, and this is wrong. And I hope to show that even more so as we do later. But one of the reasons why this is wrong is it is a rebuke of God himself. Look again at verse 18. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. That God chose to give you the gift that you have. And to besmirch that gift, to belittle that gift, is to question God's wisdom, God's goodness, and God's sovereign choice over your life. Do you really know better than God himself? The answer is no. So don't undervalue your own gift, but at the same time, we can overvalue um, 
our, our gifts as well. So if you think little of yourself, that is wrong. But if you think too much of yourself, that is wrong as well. The hand should never say to the feet, I have no need of you, right? But yet sometimes this is the attitude of those of us serving. That where would this church be without me? They're dependent on me in order for what they're doing. This is where pride and conceit start to come in. And as this comes in, we lose our unity with one another. Every gift is important in the life of the church. Just it is wrong to say that, God, you gifted me wrong. It's also wrong to say that, God, you, I am the gift to this church, and they need to see that. We never want our, our gifts to leave to pride. And so I want us to see the example uh, of how connected this is with regards to spiritual gifts, right? Because the principle here is verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So what does that look like with spiritual gifts? I think most people would be tempted to say that preaching is the most important gift in the church. That that should be what we work towards the most. But I want you to see how interdependent the gift of preaching is on all the rest of the variety of services and gifting that should be in a church. So for example, the gift of generosity. There are those who are able and willing, not just through means, but also through attitude to give generously to the ministry. So how does that relate to preaching? Well, I'll tell you from experience and those who have taught before that preaching takes a lot of time in order to do it well. And so if there is not those practicing the gift of generosity to allow someone like myself to devote their full-time occupation to serving God primarily through teaching ministry, then that preaching ministry is going to be hindered in the long run. It's not going to be as good as it could be without those who faithfully give. Similarly, the gift of, of faith and prayer. I shared earlier how I've had messages that I thought were awesome that I was gonna knock them out of the park and that fell flat and it's often because God's power wasn't in it. And so having people who faithfully pray for the ministry of God's word to be taught is important. That's one of the ways in which we fill our preaching ministry with God's spirit. Our music ministry is connected to our preaching ministry. We talked about how music is and one of the ways in which we teach and meditate on God's word that as we're great or as, as we're saturated in God's word more deeply through our meditations of music, as our hearts are prepared for the teaching of God's word, as we're directed to focus on him through corporate singing, we are better able to receive God's word. Service. There are a lot of things that need to get done in order for a Sunday morning to happen. And if I'm the only one, or if a preacher's the only one to set up the tables, to brew the coffee, to, to print the, the flyers, to do all this sort of stuff, again, it takes away from the time and even the mental capacity that it takes to be effective in one's preaching. Hospitality. You can go to a church and hear really good sermons, but if you don't feel loved by the people in the pews, you may never come back. In fact, I think that's often the case. We live in a day and age where you can hear the best preaching in the world anytime you want by logging on to the internet and viewing this pastor or not. But if we're not a church as a whole that loves people and ministers to people, then our preaching is going to be hindered. 
And so hopefully you're seeing how all of this is connected. That if one member suffers, all suffer. If we suffer in generosity and prayer and worship and hospitality, then we are suffering in our preaching ministry and any other ministry that we have. But the same is true if we are, if we are healthy in all those areas, then our preaching is healthy. And as healthy as our preaching gets, it, it fuels back into all those things as well. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so we need to serve one another as we serve the Lord. Because God has arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so there are gifts. There are opportunities for service here in this church. Maybe more opportunities than we have people in some ways in which we were going to be challenged and stretched thin. I think that's one of the blessings of being part of a small local church like ours that's just getting on the ground running is that it's going to be exciting to see all the things that God does in our lives as we serve not only in our strengths, but also in our weakness. So I've talked with people about serving here at Harvest, kind of developed this phrase that we're not necessarily looking for the qualified, but we're looking for the willing. Because many of us are unqualified to be doing what we're doing here, but with a willing heart, we can experience God's power working through us as we serve one another. So things that I would love to see in the life of the church as, as we grow in diversity with people, but hopefully unity with one another are those who excel and practice the gift of hospitality, loving people as they walk through our doors and throughout the week, that we're not just experiencing communion with one another as we gather on Sundays, but all throughout the week, that we have more people who are just willing to serve and to help in various ways, that we have more hands to, to pick up stuff and to put stuff away, that we have more people willing to, to maybe be moved by God, to, to start a ministry, to lead a ministry, to, to teach a Bible study, up to the point that we could achieve some of those things that we have listed in our core value of raising up new leaders to the point that we're growing to the point that we can establish deacons and elders and other pastors and just see God do an amazing work here in this church. So we want to identify and we want to embrace our gifting. And the wonderful thing is there is a very blank canvas here at Harvest Liberty Lake Church. And so as I close, I know we're not finishing the entirety of the chapter, but hopefully we've been clear in what I believe Paul's been communicating. But as I close, I just want you to know that one of the roles that I view for myself as the pastor is to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. We've heard it read before, but I want to read it again. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We oftentimes think that the work of the ministry is for the pastors, the elders, the evangelists. No, I'm much more like the coach on the sideline, and you are the people on the field ready to play. And as we do this, we'll not only see our church edified and growed, but we'll see God glorified. And that is my hope, and that is my prayer. And so let us ask God to do this work as we begin to close this service. Would you join me in prayer?
Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one of the people that are here this morning and even those who we know are, are here with us in unity and in spirit, but not here presently with us, being kept from joining us for various means. God, I pray that we would grow as a diverse group of people with a diverse group or with a diverse um, yeah, group of abilities, Lord, that we together would serve you and serve one another to edify one another and to build up the body of Christ. Lord, we ask your spirit to do this. I cannot build this church on my own. We ask you to do this work through your people. And Lord, we've seen you do it throughout church history, Lord, and we trust that you will do it again. And so Lord, give wisdom, give guidance, give encouragement. Lord, and may we all be blessed by the ministries that you give to each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.